Happy Friday, everybody. It is February 21st, 2020. Yesterday was the end of the 2020 legislative session, Sinedae, right at noon. Ended with not a lot of fireworks, actually. Budget was the thing that was looming over the end of the session, and both sides, the House and the Senate, really had the wrinkles worked out uh, before the end of the session. So there wasn't the dramatics there, although there were some things leading up to it that obviously were filled with dramatics. We're going to kick things off this week with a breakdown of what passed, some of the highlights of the bills and the budget decisions that did make it all the way through and are now at the governor's desk. This is with our line panelists. Right now, let's send it to them and Jean for that discussion of the 2020 session. The budget was job one for the 30-day session, and it was pretty much the last thing to get hammered out. But New Mexico also has a new trust fund for early childhood education and a controversial red flag law. Here to give their insights and opinions on the legislative session, we have with us former state senator and line regular Dee Dee Feldman is here. Also joining us is a welcome guest, Martha Burke, political psychologist and author of the book, Your Voice, Your Vote. Diane Snyder is also here today. She's another line regular and a former state senator. And completing our table is Merritt Allen. She's the owner of Vox Optima Public Relations. Great to have you all here today. Now, Dee Dee, no denying spending is way up. There's no denying this. And along with the revenue, do you see anything that will keep the state, I mean, how to put this, from those kind of cuts, those painful cuts we had to endure a few years ago, anything like that on the horizon? Because John Arthur Smith was a little bugged out about how, how much we're spending here, calling it, you know, we're on a little bit of thin ice here. Did you see that the same way? Any danger flags for you? No, okay. because um, we're putting uh, money into reserves. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. they, uh, John Arthur upped the amount of money put into reserves from what the House had recommended. Mm-hmm. We're creating trust funds left and right mm-hmm. rather than creating recurring spending uh, programs, right. uh, in foremost of which is the Early Childhood mm-hmm. Fund. Um, and there may be others. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't think that there's a lot of danger. Of course, you know, as Mm -hmm. much as the uh, Republicans worry about, you know, overspending and the rate of spending and so on, um, we have to remember that issuing tax cuts also is a recurring hit to Uh, the budget. So, you know, on the one hand, if you are uh, saying don't spend so much, then I think that you also have to be saying, uh, don't give away all of our revenue in tax cuts, which is the position we found ourselves in after the big uh, Richardson Mm -hmm. tax cut, and then the big big, uh, crash of the stock market in 2008. Mm -hmm. We had a structural deficit at that point. We are miles from that right now. That's a good way to set it up. I appreciate that, and Diane, you know, the idea of just staying on the same thing for just a quick sec before we get to some individual bills. Um, that effort to pay for capital projects with one-time dollars versus having uh, borrowing all the time. You know, back in your time, of course, we were borrowing like crazy, it seemed. Yes. Um, your your right. sense of that, are we on the right track I, on that? Yes, when okay. you have a, a, such a surplus, then you need to pay for the urgent needs of infrastructure. One of the things that's always been, and I always thought was foolish, but it was routine, Mm -hmm. is that someone would ask to build a road and it was gonna cost, um, or a building, let's say, and it was gonna cost $2 million. They would give them $50,000. 
And I'm going, you can't right. even do a design right. for $50,000. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't make any sense to me. So one of the things that, that I tried to do, and I got told by APS I couldn't do it, but I did anyway, mm -hmm. is I went ahead and funded totally the baseball uh, renovation at Sandia High School. And I said, what do you need? Right. And so we did it. And I like the idea that we look around and we say, our bridges need to be done. A little concerned about the cuts in infrastructure from 250, I think, to 185, something like that, mm -hmm. um, because our infrastructure is in such bad shape. Right. And bridges and, and the dams, nobody's talking about the dams, right. except last night in the middle of the night or late night, there was some discussion about dams and Story Lake was one of the subjects that came up. Mm -hmm. That dam is in terrible shape right. and we can't afford not to. I mean, that would wipe out the whole area if, right. if we didn't do something. So yes, I'm very pleased that they went to looking at the full cost mm -hmm. while we have the money. Mm -hmm. Because if you wait and just parse it out a little That's bit right. of time, right. you're gonna end up with a bus cycle. Interesting points well, there. Well, isn't that also, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if they do enough of these little partial things, mm -hmm. you end up with all these little pockets of money that can't do anything, but yet the money is encumbered. Yeah. It's encumbered and it just sits there. Yeah. And nothing happens to it. Right. And it, it just sits there until the next bust, at which time it is swept, swept on back <laughs> into, into the general we fund. We take it back. Speak from experience, <laughs> I see. <That's> right. <laughs> Let's get into a couple of bills here real quick. Uh, certainly some things that passed. No small controversy for the red flag law, uh, S7 Bill 5. Uh, a lot of heartburn out there, no small amount of heartburn about the way it was debated as opposed to what the bill was all about. Your sense of that? Yeah, I'd like to talk about some of the things that were said during the debate mm -hmm. that were pretty ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, the bill was debated on uh, that the police might get hurt if they enforce the orders and it made it sound like it was going to be up to the individual law enforcement officer whether to confiscate a gun, which certainly was not true. Right. Uh, you have to go to the court and then it's 48 hours or they have 48 hours to turn in the gun. But one of the more ridiculous things that I thought happened was some of the opponents put a woman up there who talked about how comforted she felt uh, with a gun because of fear of domestic violence. Well, gun violence is one of the major causes of death to women from domestic violence and 52 women per day wow. are killed by their abusers with a gun. Over one million women now say they have either been threatened or shot at but not killed uh, by a domestic abuser Is with a, a gun. Is that a recent study? Yes, it comes study? from Bloomberg's Moms Demand Action. Oh. It's on the web as we speak. Uh, so yes, they're very up what, to date. Why did they put the 48 hours? That seems like, in particularly in domestic violence, they, is that they'd not just be too long? Exactly. They would. They could shoot you in 48 hours. You well, could you, be dead within you know, that time you there, so, so and so, you caused me to lose my gun. Pop. And I thought 48 hours. No. What about like 10 hours or 24? Something. Even. You know, I, I like the process of getting some the court approval. Or, yes. The court involved, but. Uh, and I'm not a big supporter of the bill, but I like the, I like the concept of, of, of what we're trying to accomplish. Well, there was but one other thing in there that I thought in enforcement was uh, 
uh, wrongly worded or perhaps it could have been wrongly reported by the press. Mm -hmm. But it was family member, employer, or there was a third. School uh, I mean, principal. I mean, it was, no, something relative right. employer right. or school principal. And, and I said, relative is too narrow right. because there are too many people who are cohabiting that are not formally relative. So I thought household member ah. would have okay. been much better for that. Here. Touch on that if you would, SB5, i got some other sure. stuff for you too. Yeah, I really saw that and one other action, uh, trying to keep on top of all things, but I really saw Senate Bill 5 as talking to Albuquerque ah. because 2018, I mean, the legislature had a blue tsunami. And a lot of, and it happened in Albuquerque where traditional our seats flipped. Mm -hmm. And the number one issue, I think, for any citizen in Albuquerque is crime. Mm -hmm. And this, I, I, you know, it looks like the Sheriff's Association is going to file an, an injunction to prevent its implementation. Um, and, and the rural areas are much more concerned about this than the urban area. And I think as an Albuquerque Republican, your stance makes sense. I, d I disagree. But I think it was very much a way to try and keep those districts blue. Mm. Similarly, mm -hmm. um, and, and also with the fast tracking, I mean, come on, y'all, it's politics. The majority party is going to try and ramp stuff through fast. The majority minority party is going to try and stall it. doesn't matter. That's just, that's politics. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And where we see that happening, I think, was the Social Security tax. Because uh -huh. that's something that yes. um, is a good idea mm -hmm. and would help Im impact the lives of a lot of our, our most vulnerable citizens. And Merritt's theory, again, it was tabled because Senator Jim White is a Republican and the caucus does not want him to get that credit in an election year. Interesting point. It'll be reintroduced in 2021 by a Democrat, guarantee you. All right, I'm gonna <laughs> hold you on that one. Any yes, thoughts on SB5 real quick from, from you, Didi, as well? This is the crime bill? Yeah. Um, I, a red, red flag, and we'll get the crime Oh, the bill red, in a flag, Sorry, yeah. red flag, yeah. I, I actually did some study yeah. uh, on the campaign contributions that uh, came from Every Town for Gun Safety, Bloomberg's group, yeah. and the NRA. I mean, it's, a, it's really a, a reversal. And of course, last year we passed background te mm -hmm. uh, tests, and this is a red flag, albeit it's a, it's a little bit different because it's a little bit moderated, different standard for, uh, for due process. Um, preponderance of evidence, not probable cause. Um, but what, I, what we found out is that NRA and Everytown have uh, reversed positions in the past two years here in New Mexico. Um, work, we, working with New Mexico Ethics Watch, we traced the campaign contributions and expenditures of lobbyists for both groups. And we found that Everytown for gun safety in conjunction with moms uh, against who, moms who moms demand for, action, moms moms demand, demand action. action for gun sense, provided the ground forces. Uh, every town provided four hundred and fifty-five thousand and five hundred bucks, half a million dollars uh, in uh, campaign contributions. The NRA, in a total reversal, seeing the handwriting on the wall, dropped their contribution levels down to. Uh, 71,000. Oh, wow. wow. And instead worked with the county sheriffs and the rural county sheriffs with talking points, with support, um, with help. And um, that's, that's their tactic now, seeing that they couldn't, that the legislature was uh, captured by this blue wave, which was created also by, uh, by uh, 
uh, every town and moms for, mm -hmm. for direct yeah. action. Mm -hmm. Let me swing to another topic. I'll start with you, Martha, on this one. Interestingly, the early childhood uh, funding model made it through. Interesting little creative process here. It's going to be an endowment versus how we usually do these things. Very, very kind of a clever way to attack this. What was your sense of it? Well, I, I didn't agree. I, I, I agreed with Senator Ortiz Pino mm -hmm. that they shouldn't have done it as a trust fund, then why not go ahead and spend some money now? So I don't know that I thought it was that creative, but it may have been because you all who have been in the legislature can tell me mm -hmm. if it wouldn't have passed at all had mm -hmm. they said we're going to do all of this immediately because mm -hmm. it would have cost $300 million instead of the 30 that is their target That's for right. the first couple of years. Right. But I was very glad to see it yeah. uh, in the end because we know that early childhood makes a difference down the road in kids getting a full education, crime prevention even. Right. Uh, the stats on Head Start are terrific in terms of what it does for kids, particularly underprivileged, underincomed kids. Mm -hmm. uh, they need it. We need it as a country, so it's a start. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I was glad to see it, mm -hmm. but I would have agreed with the senator. I think I would have done a little protest vote there right. uh, just to sort of push things along. Interesting. Senator Snyder, I'm interested in your thoughts on this one, too. Uh, I'm a big believer mm -hmm. in trust funds that are for specific reasons. Okay. Because then there's less flexibility in changing like if it's coming, mild example, coming out of the general fund, then it can be changed right. at any time by anybody. Boy, yeah. uh, it also, to me, eliminated that immediate reaction to taking money from the education trust fund. It gave conservatives an opportunity, and many of them want to do something for early childhood, mm -hmm. but are so opposed to rating the trust fund, mm -hmm. is this is a legitimate way to do it. Right. And they couched it in terms or crafted it in terms of each 30 million per year, I believe was the number. And so you can keep putting into it. And eventually, just like the trust, the regular trust, education trust fund, it will be creating more That's right. money. That's right to go than rating the trust fund. Yeah, interesting stuff. I want to get a thought from each of you real quick on another one that was passed somewhat creatively. Uh, Senate Bill 72, uh, the uh, pension overhaul. Uh, the, um, interesting that, you know, we've been so stuck on this for so long. We finally got somewhere with this. I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Well, and I think feeding off of uh, your comments, mm -hmm. what struck me about a lot of the tone of this session is while it was Democrat driven, it was trying to speak to the business community, to a business owner, to moderate Republicans. Gotcha. Um, when I saw the governor's budget and I was reading it, I saw early chart, I'm like, oh, that old thing again. And I saw a trust fund, I was like, that looks cool. Okay. And same, you know, yeah. same thing, mm -hmm. oh, para, it's a crisis, people are crooked, right. the board's a mess. Mm -hmm. Wow, y'all fixed it. Right. That's awesome. And so, uh, again, uh, I, I give it a total win. Um, it was mm -hmm. very much a win this session mm -hmm. and um, uh, something that I think everybody will try and take credit for. That's a good point. <laughs> I'm interested in your thought on that. I, I think it was yeah. a big success, too. Yeah. And I think we shouldn't underestimate the pressure that many of the legislators and the 
and the senators uh, came under from retirees because retirees can get unhinged when you mess around with their pension right. and in this case their cost of living <laughs> increase. Right. So um, there was a lot of opposition and a lot of heated hearings up there on this bill mm -hmm. but all the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed by that task force that worked throughout mm -hmm. the interim point, and yeah. got it you know and got it going. So I think it's a, it's a real big plus. Yeah. Martha Burke how did you see this one? Well I thought it was interesting what Momesta said in the end. He said, well, this is based on the fact that the sky is falling and the government's going to go yeah. bankrupt and the government isn't going to go bankrupt. He was a little off the mark there because we weren't talking about the government going bankrupt. We were talking about that, that particular fund. fund. And while it's not on a hell to roller coaster bankruptcy, it was going down and it needed to be fixed. Mm -hmm. We were right on the so, edge where we? we had to yes, get we there. Yes, we were. We had to do, we had to do something That's because right. we've ignored it for too long. Yeah. I mean, everybody talked about it and yep. putting th this group that was together, I thought they did an excellent job at coming out up with everybody's going to hurt a little bit, but everybody's going to benefit long term. That's right. And so I was proud to see them do something. Well, clearly I, something know, needed. I was proud too, but it was the political answer. Everybody gave a little bit, yeah. you know, yeah. right. uh, rather than looking at the big structural questions like, what about the retirement age? Should we be yeah. changing the retirement age when we have so many people retiring when they're 42? Mm -hmm. um, maybe and we, we have need many people longer. working <laughs> when they're 72. Or double dipping. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. double dipping is a good point. Good point. Yeah. Now's a good time to remind you you can keep up on the show throughout the week at NewMexicoInFocus.org or get caught up on past episodes or past segments. Another great way to keep up with us is social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find us any of those places at NMInFocus. And also, speaking of Facebook, we want to mention the Focus on New Mexico group. We set this up about a year ago. The idea is to have people who really want to engage and interact with us on a on a deeper level, and we've been pulling from that group during the legislative session for discussions about what's going on in the session, and we want to continue to do that. So sign up to become a member if you aren't already, and we'll ask you in the future to participate. All right, getting back to the show now, Gwenda Dolan, she's our Your New Mexico government correspondent. She spent the day up in Santa Fe on Wednesday as things drew to a close. She talked to leadership in the House and the Senate to get their evaluations of what happened in the session and what didn't. Once again this week, correspondent Gwyneth Dolan stocked the halls of the Roundhouse to get a feel for how lawmakers think the session went. The big struggle in the last days of the session, money, and how much of it to, is safe to spend. The budget is lawmakers' number one job during this 30-day session, but it's almost always the last thing to get done. Lawmakers tussled over how much money to save and how much to spend on projects that got neglected during the dry years. Representative Harper, the state uh, got a bonus this year, and we've got a little extra money in the checkbook. How did we do this session, kind of keeping the checkbook uh, balanced? Uh, great question. And including this year and last year, the state has gotten an extra $3 billion. I mean, that is huge. Um, and what we've done with all that money is spent and spent and spent. And I'm super concerned about that because when you look at how much we've raised our state budget these last two years, 
20% spending increase. The safe number to raise our budget by when you go back looking at the last 30 years, inflation, population growth, 3%. So we're raising the budget in two years, what should naturally take about seven. So this is really setting us up for a, a, a catastrophe. We know the oil and gas industry is boom and bust. It's not if, but when the next bust happens. And, and when that happened last time, we had to sweep money from every elementary school and middle school in the state and high school. We had to furlough workers. We had to sweep money from government agencies. It was really, really painful. We have gone through big spending periods before, and, and uh, people say some good things happened. So this 20% increase in spending over two years, that's even greater than Governor Bill Richardson's increase in spending when he was running for president, right? And we got uh, you know, a spaceport for you, a rail runner for you, and uh, yeah, that spaceport has just been amazing for our economy, right? I mean, I, mean I, I love space. I'd love to see it be successful. Maybe it'll start here soon, but um, a lot of the spending that we've done with this $3 billion is gonna evaporate. Your, your normal New Mexico family won't see any difference in their roads or, or anything else. Now we have got the tax stabilization uh, reserve fund, but people want to make some changes to yeah, this. Yeah, so this is really sad for me. So one of the last things that Chairman Laranyaga did, a great statesman, was set up this tax stabilization reserve. And it was designed so that when it's a sunny day, it captures money and makes it hard to take out. And then during a rainy day, it frees up that money so we don't have to come in and sweep from schools. Well, the only thing raining right now is money and we are gonna to try to tap this fund right now. It just blows my mind. Senator Smith, what were your top priorities coming into this budget session? My top priorities are funding government in a responsible fashion, uh, trying to figure out what's gonna be reoccurring and what's not reoccurring in dollars, and that's a real challenge when you rely on oil and gas. Uh, there's an element out there that's forgotten what we went through the last prior seven or eight years and they just believe it's going to last into perpetuity uh, on, on that. And so uh, you take a lot of wrath from your own colleagues, uh, but we still have to be responsible to the citizens, the employees, and uh, education, uh, health care uh, on that. And uh, my first priority is to try and be as fair as we can uh, with reoccurring dollars. So some of your colleagues say, we've got this big windfall, we've got extra money after a long dry spell, we should invest in those things we've been talking about this whole time, we should spend more and save less now. Well, you know uh, what's happened, we've grown the budget in this session uh, three times the CPI on that. You're getting in a very dangerous zone, especially if the bottom falls out of oil and gas. Is there anything that you didn't get accomplished this session that you want to make sure happens next year? Uh, I'm hoping that uh, next year that uh, we have a spending level that has the revenues to support it uh, on that. And I expressed concern on House Bill 2 that when you have a, an increase in spending three times what the CPI is nationally, uh, you've got some challenges for next year. But uh, I think we'll be able to make, make it fit, and we're going to work through that. But once again, this state needs to thank oil and gas. I'm getting letters that we've got to get off fossil fuels. They don't tell me how we're going to replace the $3.5 billion that they deliver to our state budget. 
Well, uh, cannabis uh, legalization was something that didn't happen this session, and an advocate say there would have been at least some money there. Well, they're trying to sell uh, cannabis on the basis that it's revenue generating. Contrary to what they're telling, uh, the financial people in Colorado saying it's costing the state more with the services they have to deliver than what cannabis is generating for their state. So the, the buzzword that it's going to generate all these dollars and all these jobs uh, is not ac the actual fact of what's happening to our neighbor to the north. Mr. Speaker, Representative Harper told me the legislature has been raining money, that this uh, budget is a fiscal catastrophe. Have you been responsible with money? Absolutely. We are going to set a record for reserve levels. We're going to be $2 billion of cash reserves. We've never seen that before. We've also never hit 25% reserves, uh, at least in living memory of anyone involved in the budgeting process. We are above and beyond the gold standard for states, even states like New Mexico, that are overly reliant on a single industry for state revenue, in our case being uh, the oil and gas industry. Uh, we are working very hard to uh, wean ourselves off our dependence on oil and gas revenue. Uh, that has an additional benefit of helping us address head-on the climate crisis that we're facing. And uh, as we do that, we will see a more diversified economy. But through all of that, we need to make sure we're maintaining sufficient levels in the reserves. Uh, the bill when it left the House had 26% reserves. After the work the Senate has done, it's 25% reserves. Uh, Representative Harper and some of his colleagues in the minority are focused on a single account within the overall portfolio that makes up the state's general fund reserves. Uh, and we are having a technical bill that is moving forward to tweak the way money is shared between those accounts so that the overall 25% reserve balance is also reflected in each of the individual uh, accounts that make up the portfolio. Are we talking about the Tax Stabilization Reserve Fund? Yeah, the Tax Stabilization Reserve has uh, over $1.3 billion in it. Uh, and when the late Representative Larinaga set up his rainy day fund bill, uh, no one in the legislature anticipated a billion dollars in a single year of oil revenue that's resulted in a massive series of deposits into that account. But the argument is, you know, now we are flush, now we have the money, now that fund is doing well, but if we look at history, we see that we're probably at the top of a roller coaster with oil and gas. Why make it easier to take the money now when we are flush in, and instead of waiting until we hit bottom, which everybody says will so happen. We're not making it easier to spend the reserves. And uh, respectfully, Representative Harper is simply mistaken. Uh, this is this issue of the uh, technical account management within the reserves is something that the Republicans have attempted to seize on to try to confuse the public into thinking that we are running a deficit. But the financial summaries published both by the House and the Senate, accepted by the governor's office, show it is, there, is, there is literally no doubt we are running 25% reserves. Legalizing recreational marijuana and the red flag gun law, um, they got a lot of attention uh, before the session, um, but they, uh, they really took up a lot of time and conversation during the session. Were they undercooked before they got here? Well, the extreme risk protection order bill was 
put through the legislative process, changes were made, and it's on the governor's desk. Uh, yeah, I, in fact, I think I just signed it yesterday. So it's, it's on its way up. Uh, it was subject to the committee process for a reason, because people come from a diverse set of backgrounds. They look at the bill. They have ideas for how to make it better. But it's a gun bill, and this is a budget session. It's a bill that's going to save someone's life this year. And maybe more than one person will be alive when we convene in the next session who otherwise wouldn't be. And that makes it worth it. All right, the line panel's already weighed in on the things that they saw that were accomplished that did pass through the legislative session this year. Now it's time to focus on some of the things that didn't. And of course, that will start with the legalization of cannabis recreationally here in New Mexico. This was on the governor's call. It was one of her priorities, but was really DOA this year. Didn't even make it to a second committee hearing. So the line panelists will weigh in on why they think that happened, as well as some of the other things that will have to wait until next year. When we read the tea leaves of each legislative session, sometimes we can learn as much about what happened by looking at what didn't pass both houses and weren't hung up along the path to the governor's desk. And Diane, recreational cabinets didn't even make it past its second committee hearing in the Senate. What went wrong in your view there? I just don't think the legislature was ready to take that on yeah. yet. I think it's something that they're still uncomfortable enough with the idea. Mm -hmm. And just basing it all on all this projected revenue right. of how it will help that's not a good argument mm -hmm. when you're talking about making a major change. The second category was, is it going to negatively impact medical marijuana mm -hmm. program? Mm -hmm. Because that's important in our state. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, a number of Republicans supported that mm -hmm. back when it was passed. Not a whole bunch, but I think five of us. But um, I just, I think it had more to do with just not being willing to take that biggest step at this point. Now, I think you'll very clearly see it in the 60-day session that'll right. come up in, in 2021. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know that, I just think there's enough, in spite of what the polls say, mm -hmm. I still think there's enough grassroots opposition, opposition mm -hmm. to make the conservatives more conservative about it. But if you re remember, the vote was two Democrats that joined the Republicans That's right. That's right. to table that bill in yep. Senate Judiciary. Good points there. You anticipated a question I have for Didi. Uh, uh, my colleague Gwyneth Dolan spoke with Martin Zamora, Republican uh, Clovis. He says he doesn't believe the polling that Diane uh -huh. just mentioned that shows most New Mexicans, and I think it was upwards of 70 or 75 percent. Yeah, two thirds. Right. Two thirds, two right. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that clearly says there's some more work to do out there, isn't there, about this issue. Something didn't quite take with that working group that Pat Davis headed that went around the state. Something didn't quite get Well, those are two different issues. So those are two yeah. different issues, whether somebody believes the poll. This is the third year we've had the poll yeah. that says there's a, there's a very substantial majority of New Mexicans that support legalizing marijuana. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think, uh, I don't know what went wrong with the task force. I wasn't there, so mm -hmm. I can't tell. Mm -hmm. But I think that um, Diane's comments are, it died in Senate Judiciary. It passed the House last time. Mm -hmm. And it might very well have passed the Senate had it gotten to the floor. But the committee system is a reflection on how a minority, and often it's a rural minority, can hold up bills that are supported by 
um, a um, substantial majority in the in the pu in the public, mm -hmm. and also sometimes in the legislature. So, I mean, I think that uh, Senator Cervantes is a conservative Democrat. I think uh, Senator Martinez could be seen in some ways as a socially conservative Democrat. Mm -hmm. And those were the two deciding votes in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Mm -hmm. So I think it'll pass next time. Um, I think that um, this is, um, you know, this is just too much of a tide to, uh, for uh, us to resist here. Mm -hmm. And there so many other states ha are legalizing it now, including uh, Colorado, which is sweeping up all the revenue that we Absolutely. might get. Um, and uh, the longer we wait, uh, the less uh, of an economic development argument there will be to be, to be made because right. uh, the customers will have gone to uh, Colorado. Now, eastern New Mexico, ironically, would benefit the most right. economically right. because the of the right. Texans That's right. uh, coming yeah, in. The Texans are never going to pass. Right. It was a big right. ask for a short session, though. There, there, there's yeah. that. Right. There's that. And then just because something is a good idea and people want it doesn't mean the legislation as produced is really actionable. Right. And the example I would give would be the Affordable Care Act. Uh -huh. You know, that was something that, um, you know, it used to be Mitt Romney's idea until Fox News told him it couldn't be his idea anymore. <laughs> President Obama, President yeah. Obama uh, took it on. Yeah. Um, it was a Russian novel of a bill. The, um, it did not cover implementation. The implementation was abysmal. Mm -hmm. And you could see that coming, I think, uh, from this bill. It just right. wasn't packaged correctly. There were odd things in there and yeah. I just, there wasn't time to fix it. But I want to give a shout out to uh, Crystal Ciarza who called this. She called this at the beginning right of the session at this table. At this table. Right. Right. And, um, uh, and, you know, also, to me, there was just kind of a gut feeling that not this year. Yeah. There just seemed, yeah. That just yeah. seemed to be the vibe Something. I got. After yeah. that first rules committee hearing, you could mm -hmm. see the problems well, there forming. Was, so other difficult. major issues, so That's many right. others. That's right. That this, they didn't feel compelled That's right. that they That's had to do to this it. one mm -hmm. with that many unanswered questions. That's right. That's right. Another one that didn't pass Martha Burke was the state tax on Social Security. Right. A lot of folks predicted this would have a real chance, but then in committee, once again, Issues about budget holes and how to make up revenue and things, typical things like that. What was your sense of that? Well, it irritated me that that got to be part of the discussion because mm -hmm. I, I wrote this down. Uh, Javier Martinez, a Democrat, of course, mm -hmm. but he said uh, the cuts were not worth the hole in the revenue. Not worth it to who? You know, for the low-income seniors, or the, really it was a sort of marginal middle-income seniors that depend substantially but maybe not wholly sure. on Social Security because the, the ones that are just, that's their only income are exempted anyway. Mm -hmm. But we're only one of 13 states that taxes it. Our uh, tax is the second most punitive. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that uh, it should have passed, of course, but I, I have to take on Fred Nathan in this too. And normally I agree with him, but sure. he's think New Mexico for the audience's benefit. But he said it's a form of double taxation. I am so tired of hearing double taxation. This is something that they've been using about um, capital gains taxes for years. Right. And they say it's double taxation. Well, look, you pay taxes uh, on your income, right? You pay income tax, it comes out of your payroll. 
when you go to the gas pump, there's a gas tax. Mm -hmm. Now you've already paid taxes on that money you're using to buy that gas. Mm -hmm. So isn't that double taxation? I think it's a spurious we might be able to argument. Play that. <laughs> <laughs> it, and it, it, it's a silly sure. argument. Any tax except the very original one you pay first mm -hmm. is double taxation. So yep. I was disappointed in Mr. Nathan for making that point. There you go. <laughs> I want to come back to another one as well. Uh, PRC reform didn't make it through. Senator, I'm curious your thoughts on that. It was, you know, it was, it was, you know, a push. I would guess. Uh, I thought it was a big push. Yeah. I thought, and I thought it was very much a, re, not a retaliation in the traditional sense, but a response to all the things that have gone on at the PRC the last few years. It, it. It's a cry for we've got to do something to change this system. Right. We want it to be more equitable. We want it to be. Uh, we want professionals mm -hmm. making those decisions. Mm -hmm. And so the only way you can get professionals, well, you can put some requirements, uh, experience requirements on it, but we don't do that much in our state. We, we right. did that. We, we did, did right, that. we did that and that. Mm -hmm. But let's see what we get. We, the incumbents don't have to have it if they're running, so it would be new candidates that have to have it. Sorry. But if you're gonna rely on someone to appoint it, I don't think there's enough comfort level the Democrats don't feel comfortable enough because it's, uh, the governor is not going to be the governor forever. Right. The, and there is likelihood there at some That's point right. there will be a Republican uh, governor again. Mm -hmm. And so n neither side really trusted giving that kind of power mm -hmm. to the executive. That's right. Uh, Interested in your thoughts on that as well. Well, it, there's always yeah. going to be a spat between the PRC and the legislature right. because there's overlapping jurisdiction when right. it comes to insurance, mm -hmm. when it comes to utilities. And if, if the special interests don't get what they want from the PRC, they're going to come to the come legislature. Exactly. And yeah. If they don't get what they want from the legislature, they're going to go to the PRC. <laughs> but remember, we have a constitutional amendment coming up, right. uh, which was another grudge, uh, grudge match, mm -hmm. uh, which may backfire, though, because that constitutional amendment would end election of PRC See. members and have it be only appointment by the, uh, by the executive. Well, if you like the executive and you trust the executive, that's great. But what if you don't, as she said, <laughs> what if, what if you're going to change? your executive? <laughs> that's right. Exactly right. Thoughts on PRC. What was your sense of that one? I really, I, I think we need the right PRC candidate to really change the shape of it because we have expectations for our sheriffs who are elected, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, if Merritt Allen ran for sheriff, <clears throat> I would not be a credible candidate, right? Mm -hmm. But people with kind of similar lack of experience by running good campaigns and liking people mm -hmm. are able to be elected to the PRC. So I think um, we just need to kind of... Uh, I, and I share the concern about giving that much power to the executive branch. You know, um, electing our regulators is kind of a cool thing. I'm, I'm, I'm for that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think we need to, as voters, hold our candidates to a higher standard. There you go. Real quick from everybody, uh, your sense of the overall, for the governor's point of view, her goals, too scattershot, too much at once, 
Unfocus. Oh, was, how did? How was your sense of the whole thing? It, it was. It was way too um, top loaded, and um, some of the more interesting things got buried in the yeah. emotional issues, like recreational marijuana, like red flag gun laws. I thought the um, whole prescription wholesaling thing got is very interesting, mm -hmm. and it was got minor mention and minor coverage, um, but it was probably too much for a thirty day session. There you go. Your sense, Mark. Yeah. Well, I thought that. It was top loaded, as you said, and everything that got passed was on the governor's priority sure. list. Now, having said that, just one comment on public priorities. Uh, there was no money for the Albuquerque homeless shelter, the 24-hour right. shelter, That's but right. there was funding for a soccer complex. That's right. I think that Four says million. it all. I saw that and I just went, oh my God. Mm -hmm. um, I thought, it, I agree with everyone else that it was top loaded. The one thing that did pass, which I am excited for, because I certainly could have used this in my lifetime of running my own business, is the new wor uh, New Mexico Work and Save program that yes. establishes the IR uh, state IRA, it's not state funded, right. but it allows people who are a private employer don't provide an IRA or any kind of savings plan, it allows that individual to do it. It encourages people to start saving at a much earlier That's age right. That's right. because had I had a vehicle to do it, I would have done that. It's very forward leaning. It was yes, actually very I thought I was very impressed. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. Senator Feldman, anything last thought? About 20 seconds. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, she, she got mostly what she wanted, yeah. uh, especially yeah. the early childhood mm -hmm. uh, thing. And I think the prescription drug uh, wholesale right. importation mm -hmm. did pass. It did. And it, did. it flew mm -hmm. under the radar, and it was a very creative bill. Mm -hmm. She skirted around a potential conflict with John Arthur Smith. I think that yes, is her does. main her main obstacle when it comes to getting things through the uh, the New Mexico legislature, and she compromised there. The main conflict was between the House and the Senate over the budget, rather than the the governor and the legislature. And I've been very uh, disappointed with how the uh, Senate handled the budget behind totally behind closed doors this time. It's done this for a long time. This year, it was much more evident because it didn't even go to a conference committee. Once the Senate oh, put their no. put their amendments on it, it went back to the House and it passed without without even much discussion. Mm -hmm. So it was behind closed doors and that's that a problem. In. Exactly right. We're going to let the legislative topics rest for now. The governor has until March 11th to act on legislation. It gets automatically vetoed at that point if she doesn't. It's our favorite time of the month, our land, New Mexico's environmental past, present, and future. Correspondent Laura Pascas is back this month, and she's spanning the entire state, all the way from the Sandias down to the Oregon Mountains, down by Las Cruces. We're talking about public lands, those wild spaces that really make New Mexico such a unique and special place to call home. She's looking at how we use those public lands and what folks, including some students that you'll meet, are doing to keep them pristine and there for everyone to enjoy for a long time to come. So without further ado, here's Our Land. Be sure to follow Our Land on Facebook, YouTube, and on Instagram as well. More than a third of New Mexico's landy area is public. It's land as diverse as the users it's meant for, whether hikers, hunters, horseback riders, or mountain bikers. On this month's episode of Our Land, Correspondent Laura Pascas takes us to a service project in the Sandia Mountains 
and to visit a newly protected national monument in southern New Mexico that one group hopes represents a chance to reconnect with the land that has authored its past. New Mexico's landscapes are diverse. We have mountains, deserts, riparian areas, badlands, and forests. And people rely upon, live within, and visit those landscapes for many different reasons. One thing that's so special about New Mexico is we're never far from wilderness and wide open lands. Just on the edge of the state's largest city, there's a wilderness area. 37,000 acres within the 100,000-acre Sandia Ranger District of the Cibola National Forest, where development can't occur and vehicles, even mountain bikes, aren't allowed. At the end of January, students from Albuquerque's Technical Leadership High School joined the New Mexico Wilderness Alliance for a service project in the National Forest. We have kind of a big graffiti spot up here. Yeah, if you're, if you're spraying, definitely... These students, they first they spray it with this chemical, and then um, they'll let it sit in for a while, and then they'll scrub pretty extensively, as you can see. It's tiring. And then we wash it off with a, a kind of a spray pump. Um, and then we just repeat the process. And it, can, it can be kind of arduous and, and take some time, so it's nice to have a bunch of, a bunch of them out here trading off. <laughs> Will Ribbons works for the New Mexico Wilderness Alliance. He says projects like these create a culture of caring for public lands. Doing some work on their land as well, on this land, is just kind of an added bonus, I think. I have been wanting to come up here. Um, I was excited hearing it last week that we were going to come up here uh, this week, so I was, I was very excited. I was like, yes! <laughs> we were out here cleaning graffiti off of rocks in the wilderness area where um, you're not really supposed to have any machine or anything. It's a wilderness area because it's supposed to be non-man-made. It's supposed to be this area where animals can go and have sanctuary and be their self without man interfering. It was kind of irritating, um, just having to keep going up and down or side to side, but it, you know, thinking about it, you're like, I'm doing something for the community. In southern New Mexico, the community came together to protect another unique expanse of public land outside Las Cruces. The Oregon Mountain Desert Peaks National Monument came about because the community of Doñana County really uh, wanted to protect uh, the stories uh, that are wrapped up in their mountains. And so they led uh, nearly a decade effort uh, to permanently protect uh, uh, the landscape around Doñana County as the Oregon Mountain Desert Peaks National Monument. Angel Peña is president of the Nuestra Tierra Conservation Project. Nuestra Tierra means uh, my land, our earth, our, our dirt, our place, our home. Yeah. Do you know the difference between uh, a regular uh, metate and these? So uh, regular metate, right, the big ones. Uh, that you see abuelitas, right, it's the, it's the, you have a mano and then the big metate and you're able to scrape the corn or the... Uh, mesquite beans or whatever. Well, these ones, the thought is, is that um, the ex extra effort was used to prepare maybe uh, pigments uh, for skin or ceramics. Here, there's evidence of the people who relied upon this land for thousands of years. 
this place has been a special place for a long time. And people have been here using this place as a cultural highway for a long time. And hopefully today, if we explore a little, we'll, we'll run into some ceramics. Uh, that'll really help us piece together the story of the people who were here. Those are all good reminders that not only are our landscapes diverse, our communities are too. And everyone not only needs access, they need to feel welcome. There was a lot of energy um, around uh, monument designations a couple of years ago. There was a lot of effort to highlight and amplify uh, those diverse voices who use public spaces. But I think, especially down here in the Frontera, we felt a little like we've always been here. You know, we've, we've always been and used these places. Um, uh, we've always explored and relied on these places at times to feed our families. And I think some folks maybe felt a little insulted uh, because we uh, were forced to remind folks that we've always been here, but um, we will always be here also. So, yeah. And building new relationships with the landscape doesn't have to be difficult or expensive. I became a father really young um, and quickly learned that it was cheap uh, to take my little girl on a hike. We packed up a picnic and we threw her in a backpack and we were good all day long. Um, and that's really uh, has been the foundation for my um, experiences and love for the desert. Pena takes his daughter, now 11, hunting too. Just north of here, just last year, we're hunting for mule deer um, and hiked up and down those mountains, up and down the Robledos uh, in, the Sierra, in the Sierra de las Uvas. Together, they're sharing new experiences, building new stories, and making connections between the past and the future. For Our Land, I'm Laura Paskus. Take a break now from the legislative session. We figure a lot of you have fatigue after the 30-day session. We're also going to go off the board with a national topic this week. This is President Trump and his comments that he is the nation's chief law enforcement officer. This after uh, pardons, clemencies, and some, some would say strong arming of the Department of Justice. Line panels have a lot to say about that and what the implications might be going forward. We figure everyone's had their legislative fill by this point, and recent news involving the president and his view of the role of the judicial system seems ripe for a few minutes of discussion, especially the implications of the president's self-appointed title of, quote, chief law enforcement officer. First, after the president tweeted that the Justice Department was too aggressive in its recommended sentence for convicted criminal and Trump confidant Roger Stone, the Justice Department reversed itself. Then this week, the president granted a clemency, uh, granted clemency to a list of well-connected rich people, including tax cheat Bernard Carrick and Wall Street fraudster Michael Milken, you might remember that, and commuted the sentence of former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, who was convicted of trying to sell the vacant Senate seat of President Barack Obama. Merit, are Republicans, I got a, just a simple question here, Republicans on board with this? Because I'm not hearing much out of the Senate or the House I'll Republicans tell you, on my, this. My big takeaway was mm -hmm. William Barr giving interviews going, uh, this is not helping. That was interesting. I mean, if there is a, if there is mm -hmm. a Trump loyalist to me, it's the Attorney General. Right. And, and even Thank he's saying, you. oh, come on, let, Whatever let me do he's my job. getting, he deserves, Barr does. Yeah, the, the, mm -hmm. um, so, I, I, I found that uh, very upsetting. I have to say, um, I feel like the financial system we have today and the way uh, investment firms work on Wall Street, Michael Milliken did a lot for that industry and we're still doing it now and junk bonds are still legal and he's really done a lot, I think, to uh, redeem himself. And so I didn't find that terribly upsetting. Um, 
I think Rob Blagojevich is pond scum, pretty much. <laughs> and um, all I can think is um, he's got some uh, seats to deliver or sell to Trump in Illinois in 2020. He also, yeah. he yes, also had a wife <laughs> to advocate for him on a major news network, and that seems to be a lot of the clemency folks. Well, they said it's Tucker that. Carlson's list. Right. Uh, but I, I do have to point out, and believe me, it pains me, mm -hmm. uh, but there was one pardon that I thought was entirely appropriate, mm -hmm. and it was a, a woman who is not known to anyone. She got 20 years on a marijuana charge. Oh, right. And right. so that one, uh, give him a, a yes in that column. But sure. the others are all cronies, cronies and criminals. Right. Or celebrities. Or friends of celebrities. But one of those three women is uh, Crystal Munoz, and she is a Navajo. Uh, and uh, so we're, uh, and that was posted this morning with Sharon Chesalek. How are you going to say her name? Yeah. Representative. Shelly? Yeah, her. She posted that this morning on my Facebook, right. and I was reading it and I, because I looked up these women, and I guess there's a part of me, yeah, some of those guys are scumbags, mm -hmm. but if that's what it takes, if they feel obligated to look for women that they can help and put into the, the mix, then, then we're... I'll take those. And, and the women are not mega fraudsters no. on Wall Street. They, they, they right. smoke marijuana. One of them are nonviolent crimes. Sure. Yeah. The only other point I want to make is uh -huh. uh, I was talking with a friend and he did some quick research for me. George H.W. Bush uh, pardoned or commuted sentences for 100 people. George W. did 200 people. Mr. Obama did 1,500 pardons and several thousand computations. Now, maybe not, I don't, I don't have the list, mm -hmm. so I don't know if any of them fit into the scumbag. I color. think if they, <laughs> if they had, I think if they had, it would, it, would be, it would be in the I'm news. I'm glad that those women have a chance to do their new life. And the, the other point was that the president went to the woman that he, that Kim Kardashian helped him mm -hmm. get out. He went to her and mm -hmm. asked her, for information and referrals mm -hmm. for people and another women's organization, justice organization. So that, that to me was the small little piece of redeeming factor mm -hmm. in the- Well, it was, yeah. it was uh, an attempt at getting redemption. Mm -hmm. I, and that's okay, as I said, well, it's good I'll for take the it women. however it's I can good get for the women. But is, I, I is there not an issue here about not a good trade kind of power well, to the executive from, from our Congress? There's just something, any ramifications down the road here? This is corruption. Yeah. This is, is legitimizing corruption. This is Trump emboldened. This is, uh, this is challenging the rule of law. Why should anybody, you know, why should anybody obey the law if there's a prospect of being pardoned by their friend or by a celebrity connection or mm -hmm. by being, having been on The Apprentice? Ron Blagojevich exactly. was on The Apprentice. Exactly. And so now he's being pardoned <laughs> and he said he was a political prisoner. Right. You know, this just sounds like Russia. Yeah. And when is Trump going to declare himself the king? Well, I don't know, but they've yeah. been doing pardoning people ever since back this whole discussion. I can remember Dukakis and Willie Horton. I mean, that, y'all may be too young, no, or remember that no, story. No. And I'm just going, so it's been, it's, Mr. Trump is not the first person to do it. We don't like him doing it, sure. and, and we don't like many other things that he has done. Mm -hmm. So I think we're a little harder. Mm -hmm. I'm not disagreeing with the right and wrongness of this. I'm just saying, I think our perspective is a 
little bit different. Is, is he the first person that know to be so blatantly political with it, uh, uh, quid quo this, pro? This, this is so. unprecedented, and it is making prosecutors around the country sit up and take notice. Some of them are resigning. Some of them yes. in the Roger Stone case have resigned. And uh, there will be others, and I think uh, thousands have written letters to mm -hmm. Barr, also uh, commenting on how uh, Trump is interfering with the Justice Department. Let's but not forget night. the intimidation of judges. Look at the Stone verdict. Yes. Right. yes. But look three at and a three years and four. Last what, night. what happens if Mr. Stone gets pardoned? Any, any thought there? I'll start with you, Merritt, on that. Does that make this whole thing seem that much darker to you? I, I mean, to me, at this point, he's uh, he keeps raising or lowering the bar, however you want to take it, and we get so used to it, and he's so unrepentant about it, it's just one more thing. So yeah. I don't think it will have a lot of an impact. Yeah. To my uh, Democratic uh, friends at the table, mm -hmm. my advice um, as a prognosticator is if you want to do something about Trump, take the Senate in 2020. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. We agree right. completely on that. Interesting stuff there. And that makes my He would be shot. so frustrated, <laughs> he'd say, I quit. I know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I want to say thanks to our panel for weighing in on this and broadening our scope this week on matters outside of our state borders. Good stuff. Thank you. All right, that's it for the show this week. We hope you have enjoyed. And please reach out to us. You can uh, email us at NewMexicoInFocus at NMPBS.org. Give us topic ideas for future shows. Let us know some of your thoughts about the things we talked about on this show. We'd love to hear you. And be sure to spread the word about this podcast. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. You can do that on Spotify, iTunes, really anywhere you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week. <laughs>